This is the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast from Advanta IRA, where we show you how to explore investments beyond Wall Street and open your eyes to new options for your portfolio. It's time to take control and give yourself the freedom to choose where you invest your money. Hi, and welcome to another edition of the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast. My name is Alex Perney, and today on the download, uh, it's kind of hard to peg down a central uh, theme of uh, what the market update today looks like because there's not a whole lot of good news coming out of the securities markets uh, currently. It's uh, been a, a rough few weeks and the sell-off definitely continues spurred on by a few different market forces that we'll talk about here in a minute. Uh, one of the uh, big uh, losers, if you will, on the markets right now in the tech sector, at least, is uh, social media giant Snapchat. They slashed their f- earnings forecast and their stock prices fell over 31% in trading on Monday, uh, May 23rd. However, uh, this is not necessarily indicative of the larger market uh, of tech companies, especially social media as well. Uh, we're seeing Twitter still having a uh, kind of an interesting price fluctuation as the uh, sale to Elon Musk is still kind of up in the air with the agreed share price to take the company private at $53 uh, and change per share. So we're still seeing it kind of try to inch towards that premium and backing off uh, depending on uh, what is actually being tweeted or said in a given trading day. So uh, interesting to look at on the <clears throat> on the portion of that segment uh, that we're looking at. However, uh, Facebook and Google are up 1.3% and 2.15% respectively on trading for the day. So it's, it's a tough one to kind of peg down uh, when it comes to tech and social media, because there's so many different market forces right now that are affecting these uh, particular stocks. So it'll be an interesting one to watch. There definitely is some depressive pricing that is uh, going on, but it will uh, it'll be certainly something to, uh, to 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 look at more carefully and just watch over the next coming weeks. So, uh, tech sector extremely volatile, but there definitely could be some interesting plays to be made there if you are interested in getting in at a slightly more depressed price. However, the larger market as a whole is definitely seeing some uh, very aggressive. Uh, forces act upon it. So uh, just be careful if you're looking to maybe, uh, you know, uh, try to day trade these things as there still could be a significant amount of room to go towards the bottom uh, on uh, tech sector stocks. Precious metals, uh, which are typically seen as a hedge against uh uh, it was called them angry markets, uh, have been uh, trading up. However, uh, certain analysts, uh, especially from Goldman Sachs, have been saying that the price ceiling might be get, might be close to getting reached. What these uh, guru analysts are seeing that other people aren't, who's really to say? Because we've been hearing analysts talk about a market correction for the past three years, and uh, they've continually been wrong. However, the uh, the pricing and the activity in the markets that we've been seeing as of late in the past few weeks might indicate might be indicative of them finally being right. But I kind of see this more as a weatherman saying that there's a thirty percent chance of rain, and then you know on a long enough time scale, eventually they're going to be right. But you know, not to not to disparage what these financial experts are saying, but gold is trading at the highest point that it has been in the entirety of the year right now. So it's going to beg the question as to whether or not these people are just trying to drive people away from uh, 
investments that don't have some type of deep-seated self-interest in the companies that they work for. But again, precious metals are seeing a good uptick. And, you know, if you are buying physical metals, which is something that is going to be an actual tangible asset, at least you have the security of knowing that there is something physically backing it besides just good faith and market forces, which is, uh, you know, kind of a big sentiment on a lot of this stuff. You know, it's a lot of hopes and dreams that are kind of propping up a lot of these other uh, securities and different things in the world right now. So the uh, the benefit of actually investing in something tangible, you know, definitely is um, definitely has some direct benefit. Uh, so another interesting thing that's happening that should be something of concern for people is that for the first time ever, there's over $2 trillion in registered deposits for uh, the Federal Reserve Bank as money is just rolling in uh, from... <clears throat> from uh, money market uh, fund managers as people continue to sell off stocks. This is uh, breaking the record high from last week of $1.7 trillion in liquid cash deposits coming across these uh, these accounts for the Federal Reserve. So uh, just seeing the amount of cash volume out there is uh, slightly troubling just because uh, with the basic laws of supply and demand, if there is an inherent uh, increase in supply with less demand for the money outflows, it's going to drive the price of the dollar. We're going to drive the price of everything and markets down. So seeing this much in just money market managed funds is slightly concerning, but it will be something to certainly watch anytime that we start talking about record highs or record amounts of anything in a securities market it is not always a good thing. So we always have to keep in mind that when we're seeing things like first times and records, whether it be highs or lows, it's definitely something to kind of uh, use as maybe a keyword or a trigger for you to maybe reanalyze exactly how you're investing. So uh, <clears throat> with you know pricing and everything being as crazy it is as it is, and seeing how much people are selling off, and the fact that this is a record amount of cash that people have basically liquidated out of the market, it's going to position either one of two things. Either people are going to look to sit and hold on this cash, which you know causes its own set of issues, or that there potentially could be a <clears throat> huge potential market buying event, which could drive prices of certain securities higher. So you know who's to really say which way it's going to go, but there's definitely an opportunity and definitely some concern here for that. So it's always good to look at this through, you know, a with two eyes open and both feet forward is kind of what I'm trying to get across with this. When we're seeing this much just liquid cash being pulled out of the market and whether it's going to be immediately redeployed by people trying to maybe buy on a on some type of arbitrage or if it's just going to be something uh, more endemic of a larger uh, issue that we're going to see with the markets of people just holding large amounts of cash. It's, uh, it's definitely going to be interesting to see. I would lean a little bit more towards this going to be redeployed as inflation is already so high that the value of this money that is not being invested will basically just continue to drop uh, until it's actually invested in, into something. So take that for what it's worth. I just like to bring people news that I think is going to be of worth to them. Uh, and this is definitely something that really stuck out to me in doing uh, my research for this podcast was just how much money. I mean, when you talk about $2 trillion in the context of other things, the total amount of retirement plan assets in the United States right now is roughly $30 trillion. So that means that people have taken out 
almost 6% of the total cash in the securities market that is totally invested within uh, the securities market, the, the, the markets for retirement funds. So that's just something kind of crazy to think about is that 2% of the total cash volume that is actually out there right now has been pulled out when the total retirement plan market value is about 30 trillion. Uh, just something kind of interesting to look at is that that's how much that we're talking about. We kind of throw around the figure of, you know, just how much money is invested in IRAs and retirement plans. But when you see this type of liquidation event occurring, it's should be very eye-opening for people. So I know I've kind of spent maybe a few more minutes than I normally do on, you know, just kind of ticking off, you know, market movers and things like that. But this was one of the things that really kind of caught my eye as a financial professional of just how much of a paradigm shift we're seeing kind of right now in the market. And, you know, what kind of opportunities does that present to you? It's hard to say, but there's a lot of cash out there. So, you know, there's, there's opportunities and everything, not always just a, uh, a bad outlook. Now, to kind of transition away, you know, we're talking about things doing poorly, but we are seeing innovation and upturns in certain market segments as well. Now, we're kind of going to focus on tech because a lot of the other markets, let's say raw materials, manufacturing, things like that, are all kind of seeing a relatively uh, stable trajectory. Um, not all of them doing well, but not all of them doing uh, bad either. So seeing kind of a par value for a lot of other markets, but tech being kind of the one consistent uh, uh, market segment that is doing things, if you will, whether that's up or down. Uh, manufacture uh, chip manufacturer. Excuse me, uh, tech manufacturer Advanced Microsystems or AMD is seeing a very large price climb on the news of their new processor architecture, uh, which is taking advantage of the new of new protocols in memory efficiency. So right now we're on what's called a DDR4 uh, RAM. Uh, protocol and these new processors are taking advantage of the new DDR5 protocols, which is a, you know, if you're not really familiar with tech, might just be kind of Greek to you, but it is a very big deal. Uh, we've been on the last uh, memory protocol for the better part of 10 years now. So to see a new protocol with efficiencies of what this is going to mean for larger segments of the market is, is really interesting. Now people say, oh, great, well, computers are getting faster or you know, something else is going to get faster. What does that mean for me? Well, just like when a raw material gets cheaper, yes, you may not be buying large blocks of steel, but if steel gets cheaper, things like uh, cars might get cheaper, things like uh, home, home appliances might get cheaper. So the same kind of thing holds here where you have efficiencies and memory speeds, things like uh, data plans for cell phone carriers or uh, the amount of money that you pay for certain services that use data uh, driven uh, workflows, uh, any business that has to pay for server space or things like that. The, things like increases in memory efficiency, which these new uh, these new chips can provide, can definitely cause some trickle down effects in different other markets that you may not even realize. So while yes, we are seeing very high inflation and we're seeing the dollar essentially purchase less goods comparatively year over year, things like this that you know people may just say, okay, great, you know, some computers getting faster can really really help to alleviate some of those burdens when people aren't having to pay as high of a service price uh, for technology 
uh, and things like uh, cloud computing as they once would have had to do and can certainly sometimes pass those savings on to the end user or also businesses can get more money because they can shave overhead and drive innovation. So uh, that was one, you know, at least personally, I find kind of interesting because I love technology. So I think it's uh, also kind of good as well as to bring that into the context of the record cash deposits as seeing these new technologies that are emerging that might make um, the pain of an economic shift a little bit less if we can get our services and our computing uh, at a cheaper level. Now, with regard to all these cash deposits and things that are driving the market, mainly the Fed, uh, the Federal Reserve Bank, has been holding meetings. Uh, we saw the other week that they have increased the uh, interbank lending rate, which has seen 30-year uh, fixed rate mortgages uh, climb up to 6% and then back down into the mid five. So these meetings on monetary policy have probably the largest driving effect on most any of the markets that we see out there. So uh, these meetings are continuing and it's generally being seen again, you know, taking the uh, the word, the the value of whatever word that these so-called uh, you know analysts and experts are saying, is that uh, we probably won't see any stabilization into any type of market trajectory until these policy meetings are over. So we're going to have to kind of wait and see exactly what happens with these different particular. Uh, meetings that the Fed is holding as to kind of where the markets are going to land. But uh, currently they are still going on. So it's going to definitely be something to watch. I know this was a little bit of a, more of a doom and gloom and a technical uh, dive into uh, what's going on in the markets right now. But these are all things that I feel very, very uh, strongly that people need to know. And I really hope that people take some time to do some research and not just maybe listen to the talking heads that are out there uh, that are that are promoting different things. Really get out there and do your research because in times of uncertainty, the informed investor is going to be the safer investor. So please do get out there, do your research. Uh, if you have questions, you know we're always here to help and try to answer as best as possible. But just make sure you're doing your research into what some of these things actually mean for you, so that way you can be best positioned. Uh, with your investments and maybe investing in some alternatives to traditional securities can definitely offer you some benefit in these kind of uh, very uh, turbulent times. This has been The Download. Today on the what is, what is arbitrage? Is it a fancy sounding word? Absolutely. Is it something that smells good? Well, maybe not particularly, but it's something that is important to understand, especially in the context of what we're going to cover later on in the podcast. Arbitrage is the simultaneous purchase and sale of the same asset in different markets in order to buy profit from tiny differences in assets listed price. It exploits short-lived variations in the price of identical or similar financial instruments in different markets or different forms. Arbitrage can be used whenever any stock, commodity, or currency may be purchased in one market at a given price and simultaneously sold in another market at a higher price. This situation creates an opportunity for a risk-free profit opportunity at a risk-free profit for the trader. 
However, the problem with arbitrage is that if you purchase one asset to initially to initially sell it on a secondary market, the problem is, is that if there's a large price fluctuation, then you might be stuck holding the bag and be losing money on an on a specific trade than you otherwise would. Arbitrage can be made in stocks, commodities, and currencies, and it also takes advantage of the inevitable inefficiencies in these types of markets. Arbitrage provides a mechanism to ensure that prices do not deviate substantially from fair value for long periods of time. However, with advancements in technology, it has become extremely difficult to profit from pricing errors in markets. Many traders have computerized trading systems set to monitor fluctuations in similar financial instruments, and any inefficient pricing setups are usually acted upon quickly, and the, uh, the opportunity for arbitrage is eliminated often in a matter of seconds. Here's an example of how arbitrage works. Consider the following. The stock of company X is trading at $20 on the New York Stock Exchange, while at the same moment is trading for $20.05 on the London Stock Exchange. A trader can buy stock on the New York Stock Exchange immediately and then immediately sell the same shares on the London Stock Exchange, earning a profit of $0.05 per share. The trader can continue to exploit this arbitrage until specialists on the New York Stock Exchange run out of inventory of Company X's stock or until specialists on the NYSE or LSE adjust the price to wipe out this opportunity. This is Arbitrage, and this has been The What Is. Welcome to another edition of the Alternative Investing Advantage. Today, we're going to be talking about cryptocurrency, what everyone knows and loves, but understands very little of. <laughs> now, <clears throat> we're not going to be digging, well, we are going to be digging pretty far into some things that a lot of people don't realize. And, you know, for the casual cryptocurrency investor might really open your eyes, um, especially with the crash of uh, Terra Luna uh, by Terra Labs uh, the previous uh, few weeks has exposed a lot of issues with what people term uh, stable coins. Now, you know, people hear the terms investing and things like stable and it makes them feel all warm and fuzzy. But when the ninth largest cryptocurrency by trading volume and value loses almost $30 billion of market value within the span of a week and essentially goes and freezes trading, it really brings up a lot of questions on how something that is supposed to be stable or backed by fiat currencies um, can really affect investors. And just to show how incredibly uh, tenuous some of the aspects of cryptocurrency markets are for those of people that aren't necessarily familiar with it. So to begin this, let's kind of dig into what exactly cryptocurrency is for those that aren't necessarily familiar and also dig into exactly kind of how buying cryptocurrency works. I mean, everyone pretty much understands, hey, if I want to go buy something, I take my nice, you know, freshly minted US dollars and I go hand it to someone and they hand me a good or provide me a service. Uh, kind of the basis of economics 101, uh, goods and services in exchange. So in that instance, I take my dollars and let's say I go and buy some gold that has some value and then I can exchange that gold for something else or I can uh, continually hoard my dollars and then I'm fighting things like inflation, but I still have something that inherently I can go out and purchase. Now, 
think about going into uh, something like buying an investment, let's say a security. I give my dollars to someone like a brokerage, call it brokerage A, and then I can go out and you know certainly purchase something like a security. Uh, they take my money and exchange it for a security on an open market. And we'll get to why that kind of um, understanding of how uh, the economics of a traded security or assets really work a little bit later on in this. But that's kind of another key tenet that I want to get across to people is kind of the mechanisms of exchange and why buying something with something else always has a medium of currency. So with that said, just keep that in mind. So what is cryptocurrency? Essentially, cryptocurrencies are a decentralized way of um, exchanging value at its core tenant. So uh, it's not necessarily a currency in the way that we think of as, as a, a government issuing some type of promise to repay or some type of value-based uh, unit, you know, dollars, pounds, uh, uh, pounds sterling, the euro, things like that, where you have a agreed upon kind of exchange of these uh, issued items for some type of good or service. Now, the decentralization is great, from the aspect that it doesn't allow for governments to inflate or deflate with monetary policy of things like printing money or restriction of money supply, uh, the actual value of the underlying currency. Now, that, of course, is slightly more of an advanced topic when we talk about money supply and the velocity of money. But just understand that the basic uh, driving principle of having a decentralized currency is that the market dictates value, which <clears throat> inherently uh, is great for a lot of things. The more people that adopt it simply means that the value will be higher and the medium of exchange will be more widely accepted. And you don't have to worry about, you know, politicians with agendas and other things like that, that are going to essentially set the rates and standards for your unit of, <clears throat> for your unit of exchange. Now, that's great from the free market aspect, but it also opens things up to financial attacks or, or things that will inherently drive down or make the markets much more volatile for the pricing of a particular asset, in this case, the asset being cryptocurrency. So uh, you, dollars and government-issued fiat currencies, you know, when I say the use the term fiat currency, I'm referring to a governmental-issued uh, you know, paper currency, uh, tends to be a lot more stable than other units of exchange, especially when it comes to cryptocurrency. We've seen Bitcoin go up from a high of almost $60,000 per coin to now being traded in the mid uh, $20,000 range. So that's kind of one of the big advantages of governmental backed uh, paper currencies is just the fact that you have a much more regulated market and the pricing typically stays a lot more stable. You know, we'll see exchange rates of currencies, you know, US dollar to let's say the, uh, the, the British pound fluctuate by maybe a couple cents uh, or maybe a dollar or two here and there over the course of a year or even going back a few decades. It's always relatively stable uh, between those types of currencies. So for people holding it, it offers the advantage of being pretty stable, but you are exposing yourself to, uh, let's say, government graft and uh, the other issues that come along with uh, using that type of uh, exchange medium for fiat currency. So the basics of having a decentralized currency, obviously, are that markets can dictate precisely what the value is. And the higher adoption you have, the more freedom you have to exchange between other people in other countries uh, with people offering different services. Uh, and just having, in general, less exposure to 
um, you know, government monetary policies. So back in about 2009, the first widely adopted cryptocurrency that we all know and love, Bitcoin, uh, was essentially, we'll call the term published or produced uh, by by a uh, unknown source, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, uh, you know, essentially the person, quote unquote, that created Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin is interesting insofar as that it is uh, has a hedge against uh, overinflation by the additional printing of money, like the exposure that you see from governments, you know, continuing to print money by having a capped amount of Bitcoins that will ever be in existence. So we have a finite amount of supply of this particular asset. Now, the way it works is that these exchanges of Bitcoins or portions of Bitcoins are logged on what's called a blockchain, meaning that everyone can see who, you know, who, meaning a wallet or address, is spending what, and all of these transactions are verified against a publicly provided blockchain, and the reward for the people and the compute power that does this is additional issuance of Bitcoin. So the benefit of this is that you have a huge public forum that you can use for the spending and tracking of these currencies so that way you make sure things aren't double spent you have complete transparency in the actual accounting of these uh these cryptocurrencies and in general especially with something like bitcoin you have that hedge against inflation because you always know the total supply or the volume that will ever be uh, issued of this particular asset so you have that additional benefit now this is all well and good. People have been adopting it over the years since 2009, you know, coming into 2020, it is still the uh, most valuable cryptocurrency out there. But when you have a new market emerge, you're going to have other people, you know, trying to copy or emulate or improve upon the actual cryptocurrency. Now, buying cryptocurrency, you know, in the early stages was kind of a a tough go for a lot of people. It's not like you could just walk down to, you know, your local bank and say, hi, Mr. Banker, I'd like to give you $100 and you're going to give me $100 worth of Bitcoin. Uh, it was very, very decentralized and the issues with how to buy it were, you know, numerous. Now, the cryptocurrency market has greatly evolved since the early days of cryptocurrency. And now we have cryptocurrency exchanges, places like uh, Coinbase, Kraken, Gemini, all these different places that offer the ability for uh, regular investors to come up and say, hey, I'd like to buy some Bitcoin. Here's my uh, unit of currency in the form of fiat, so government-issued currency that I'm going to use to actually purchase these, uh, these cryptocurrencies. Now, remember in the beginning of this, I mentioned that you're going to want to understand some of the parallels between a stock market exchange and an actual uh, and the actual uh, exchange of cryptocurrencies, because there are some similarities here. And we're going to show the parallels and how some of these dangers, especially with the relation to what are called stable coins, are, are going to be prevalent. So you go to an exchange, you say, hey, here is my $100, you deposit it to that account, and then you go out and purchase cryptocurrency. Well, the whole principle behind cryptocurrency is decentralization and non-utilization of fiat currencies to exchange uh, between two end users. So when you go to an, a, a cryptocurrency exchange and you say, hey, here's my $100, and you go to purchase, let's say, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Ripple, Bitcoin Cash, Dogecoin, uh, you know, any of these different types of cryptocurrencies, you're going to have the the actual exchange is going to have to have some type of liquidity pool in order to actually go out and purchase 
the uh, or or provide you with that cryptocurrency. Now, the way it works in the securities world is that the brokerage houses will have uh, set amounts of liquidity standards, you know, how much cash reserves they have to have in order to make these markets viable. Because when you give them $100, they have other things that they're doing with the money, just like any bank. So you have to have a certain amount of liquidity. So that way they can say, hey, if I place a trade for 100 shares of Apple, they have the liquidity in order to, in US dollars, to have that market funded, you know, be able to go out and make that trade for you to deposit those shares to your account. And that US dollar backing of their pooled assets, their liquidity allows them to go out and place that trade for you. Now, that's how it works with a fiat based market, you give them money, the the broker, the exchange goes out, you place the trade, they issue the money uh, to the seller because they have liquidity pools for how they are handling these transactions, and it's based on US dollars. Now, with decentralized networks, such as cryptocurrency, how exactly are these trades executed? Because you give them $1, there's really no mechanism for an exchange to go out and say, hey, here is you know, the $100 to XYZ wallet to purchase the Bitcoin. Well, what they do have is they have what are called stable coins. Now, stable coins generally fall into one of two categories. And these are what are used primarily for the liquidity in cryptocurrency markets in order for these exchanges to buy and sell and trade cryptocurrencies for you to actually hold in your account. So when you give them 100 US dollars, 100 US dollars isn't going out and just going into a you know, checking account of the other person selling it or the market maker, they have to have some type of liquidity that's generally accepted amongst all these exchanges and individuals that are buying and selling cryptocurrencies in order to fulfill these trades. So that's where stable coins have kind of come into the mix. Now, stable coins are a cryptocurrency that is issued based on and they peg their value to a governmental fiat currency or a pool of currencies. You know, maybe they have kind of an average of the pricing of, let's say, uh, pound sterling, euro, US dollar, uh, Canadian dollar, Australian dollar, things like that. And they peg their value against that. And the way that they do this is by taking in US dollars of exchange and then typically, and again, this is one of two ways, they'll either base it on an algorithmic peg, meaning that they're going to take an algorithm of this, you give them money, and then the money is essentially at that point, um, you know, gone for lack of a better word, to a point, and then they will, uh, you know, purchase things like cryptocurrencies and other things to back the issuance of that new coin. So there's not necessarily like a minting, there's not necessarily like a blockchain mining process, there's a minting process. So you give the cryptocurrency, you give the money to the stablecoin provider uh, in an algorithmic sense, they will then in turn say, okay, great, we're going to peg our value of this at an algorithm based on the values of these currencies. Uh, it's called an algorithmic based stablecoin. Granted, they are going to be a little bit riskier insofar as that if the underlying algorithm changes or the value of one currency throws off the metric, these things can have what's called a de-pegging, meaning that the value is no longer accurately pegged to the underlying value of that currency. And this medium of exchange essentially goes away. Well, why is that important? Because when I mentioned earlier that US stock exchanges have liquidity in the form of US dollars, these exchanges for cryptocurrency have to use something other than US dollars for the liquidity to place these trades. And they typically do it utilizing stable coins. Now, Terra Luna or Luna Terra from Terra Labs 
was an algorithmically based stablecoin, meaning that it was essentially kind of open to uh, different forms of financial attacks with, um, you know, if you had a large enough amount of money, there were certain ways that you could trade and short uh, this particular cryptocurrency that could potentially cause a collapse. And that's kind of what we've seen. There isn't any inherent evidence of what kind of orchestrated the downfall or why exactly it happened. But just to understand that the lack of essential backing to these minted coins was a primary issue. Now, Terra Labs, again, this is a private company that was issuing these, these tokens or these cryptocurrencies. Uh, you know, had white papers indicating that they had, you know, X amount of Bitcoin in reserve that was used as the basis for the backing of the value of their uh, cryptocurrency, which at one point was $90 per token. And now it is a big fat zero across the board out to about five decimal places. So again, they were basically just using math and computer modeling uh, with, again, with an, un, you know, kind of disclosed or verified amount of uh, asset backing, such as such as Bitcoin, to essentially verify the value of these newly issued coins that they were selling and then having people purchase. Uh, and people were using this, again, as a liquidity standard to facilitate the trade, meaning that if you wanted to have a trade and you gave an exchange, let's say $100, they would maybe use that $100 to acquire more things like a stable coin and then use that stable coin to facilitate across the blockchain the purchase of that other cryptocurrency. Because remember, the US dollar standard or fiat currency isn't how cryptocurrencies are traded. The liquidity is based on other cryptocurrencies or the cryptocurrency you're buying yourself in that exchange. I know it's kind of a little bit complicated to comprehend, but just keep in mind that when you go into a cryptocurrency market, granted, yes, you used your US dollar to purchase the Bitcoin on the exchange, but that exchange, when it goes out to fulfill that order, isn't using US dollars. They're using some type of cryptocurrency or medium of exchange and liquidity in order to fill that trade. Now, <clears throat> why is this actually important? Well, Terra was kind of a large crack in the first time we saw a very large stable coin, something that was supposed to be pegged very stably, you know, it's not being traded on parity or arbitrage. And I'll get into what arbitrage means in a moment, but it wasn't being traded like that. It was supposed to be backed by a algorithm that pegged it specifically to the supply and demand of actual fiat currencies. Essentially, when the, uh, you know, lights went out and everyone was left standing, it collapsed uh, with what was happening. So stable coins, although, you know, in the name stable, and they should be backed and fully uh, vested with a certain type of uh, fiat currency or a mechanism of uh, value, such as Bitcoin or something else, uh, these things can happen and, and, and the, uh, you know, the, the party can stop. The real kind of issue that we're seeing here and some reasons why I wanted to bring this up is another, the main liquidity issue uh, that we are seeing right now is the fact that the main medium of exchange for these cryptocurrency exchanges is a unit called Tether. Now, Tether is unique in that it's not an algorithmically backed stablecoin. It is supposedly a fiat-backed stablecoin where $1 of purchase of Tether equals $1 in liquidity deposits into their pool uh, into their pooled fund that they keep in reserve to actually back it one-to-one. -one. Now, this has been the widest traded and most utilized form of liquidity for cryptocurrency markets to date. Now, why am I bringing this up? Well, 
this supposed this cryptocurrency needs to be basically pegged at all times one to one with whatever underlying currency that is and that is the US dollar because supposedly these things are held within a liquidity pool that these uh, cryptocurrency companies are providing and the important part to remember is that these are private companies that are issuing these cryptocurrencies these aren't publicly traded companies these aren't governments with oversight these are essentially just private institutions that are creating these markets or creating these assets that people are purchasing. Now, the problem with that is that this, the, what is called Tether is being used as the intermediate liquidity for all these different markets, assuming that it's always pegged to $1 because that's what exchanges are taking in, you know, dollars, pounds, sterling, they're taking in fiat currencies and using it to exchange with other uh, brokerages or market makers in order to fulfill these orders. So if let's say this form of liquidity were to ever be depegged from its underlying value, then you have a huge issue. And by huge, I mean the fact that the entirety of the cryptocurrency marketplace, for the most part, could come to a grinding halt uh, or very close to it. Because if you don't have the liquidity to place trades or orders, or if you have a huge disparity between the underlying value of what you took in and what you're trying to place, it basically creates a market where nothing can be done. Uh, and it just basically opens it up to people making random arbitrage investments or making random arbitrage plays, meaning that people are just going to be taking one cryptocurrency and trying to immediately trade it against a different market maker for a small variance in price. It is basically going to cripple that type of market because you are taking, you know, think about it like this. If you were to take away the US dollar and make it, you know, completely worth zero, how would you buy and sell and trade anything in the United States? Well, are you going to walk around with, um, you know, all of your wares and trinkets to trade for goods and services? Are you going to walk around with a big bag of gold? That's kind of the issue that we're looking at with how these cryptocurrency markets are currently. Um, set up is that these mediums of exchanges and liquidity are based on underlying other cryptocurrencies that, again, don't have a whole lot of government regulation and oversight. So, you know, we all can, you know, see where that could definitely be a potential issue. Now, there are some pushes by uh, places like the European Union and uh, the uh, United Kingdom to regulate stable coins a little bit more because of the way that they are uh, promoted and, and endorsed by people. But uh, there is a huge amount of issue with the fact that, you know, private companies are issuing the medium of exchange for cryptocurrency. And when the uh, the Tether, Tether coin depegged, and it has several times over the past year, and it did when uh, Terra Luna essentially got wiped off the cryptocurrency exchange, it causes huge ripple effects in the value of other cryptocurrencies. Take Bitcoin, for example. If you aren't able to readily and openly trade the underlying asset, the asset becomes far less valuable. If it doesn't have that kind of uh, you know, easily ex easy exchangeability that it's built on, less people are going to want to use it and the price is going to crash because economics 101, you have supply and demand. So these are kind of some of the big issues that I want to bring up to people is that you're not necessarily with cryptocurrency markets just looking at one figure. There's a lot of other things to look at because if you say, hey, I want to buy Bitcoin, you know, I don't really care what, you know, Terra Luna or Tether or all these other things do. You need to really understand the fundamentals of how cryptocurrency exchanges work because yes, Bitcoin trading at X price is great, but if the ability for someone to go out there and take their take their dollars and purchase 
cryptocurrency is no longer there. Well, the cryptocurrency you're looking to buy, granted it's worth 20,000 today, but if you have no way to sell it readily on an open market, then the, the potential for it to crash is much greater. It's not just, hey, what's the price right now? Um, you know, Think about it, if, if Apple was making great products and their share price was going way up, but you had no way to buy or sell their stock because the underlying um, exchange markets weren't able to fulfill or sell trades, their share price would tank. And essentially that's kind of the same thing that could potentially happen to other cryptocurrencies uh, with these exchanges because the ability for the liquidity of the markets to fulfill orders and take in those fiat currencies could be very well challenged and very well shaken by you know the stable coin market because that's what the adoption has has been so far. So essentially what I want people to take away from this today is that if you want to invest in cryptocurrency, you need to understand <laughs> that it is a very risky venture still. And just because you are talking about investing in something that is maybe let's call say a stable coin, you have to understand that the people that are minting and issuing these coins are not as kind of open and, and transparent as something like a, uh, a community-backed coin like Bitcoin, these people have the ability to take in money and with very little government regulation issue and change terms of services and how they actually operate. So when you have basically a private company minting and issuing the intra-trade currency for a particular market, you can kind of see how those issues could crop up. You know, people make mistakes, companies change direction and there's a lot to be said for that. So if you're looking to invest in cryptocurrency, it's always a good idea to understand how the markets work. It's not simply just going out and purchasing uh, one Bitcoin or one Ethereum or one Ripple or one Tether. There's a lot more that goes into it. And understanding how these markets fundamentally work can help you better to understand what your inherent risks are going to be if you want to actually uh, you know, utilize this as an investment strategy. With that said, you also need to understand that there are inherent huge taxable implications for these types of cryptocurrency investments. If you are going to be purchasing and selling these personally, you're going to have personal tax lots that are going to be applied to these, these investments, meaning that if you buy or sell something, any type of appreciable gain based on the underlying value to the US dollar or loss will be reported to you personally. And if you are trading a lot, can create a significant amount of tax burden reporting for you personally. So I always recommend that people really understand before getting invested in cryptocurrency, one, the taxation, two, the risk, and three, how to mitigate all three of those. You know, you can mitigate that risk by one, being very well educated on exactly how this stuff works, understanding how it works. And then with regard to taxation, you know, you can do these things through things like IRAs. But again, understanding the risk with that is that let's say you have a significant drop in value, unlike personally, where you can claim that loss, you can't do that uh, with a uh, IRA or some type of tax sheltered account. You have to understand that, that loss is going to stop with that particular, with that particular account. So Again, what I want people to kind of understand or at least be taking away from this podcast is that do some research on exactly how cryptocurrency markets work, because just one cryptocurrency coin failing can have significant effects because of the way that these markets are set up and the intra-trade and liquidity that is associated with how cryptocurrency markets work, because it's not just based on a dollar, a dollar amount for the underlying liquidity of these markets. It's not like a U.S. stock exchange where you give them 100 bucks and then they take that and then fulfill orders with that $100. 
your money essentially is going in and then another medium of trade or currency is being used to actually fulfill the ultimate order and destination for what you want to buy. And if there are issues with that other medium of exchange, then there can be a huge amount of issues with all the other cryptocurrencies that are traded along that same protocol. So again, one small issue somewhere else can have huge rippling effects throughout the entirety of a certain market when it comes to cryptocurrency. So with the crash of Terra Luna, I just wanted to bring up to our investors that there are a lot of things that you need to look at and understand. And if you have any questions about this stuff, always feel free to reach out. Uh, we can certainly give you resources and uh, try to help guide you on you know, exactly what you need to understand or places that can help better educate you for, you know, properly investing in this kind of stuff and understanding your risk and also doing it um, in a manner that will uh, best benefit you. With that said, my name is Alex Perney. Thanks for joining us on this edition of the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast. Tune in next week for more investing tips and strategies. Want to hear more episodes of the Alternative Investing Advantage? Search podcast at advantaira.com and subscribe.